everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beanless and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are recording this one day after my co-host and Hall of Famer himself, Steve Flink, just got back from the very place where he was inducted back in 2017, the International Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport, Rhode Island. Steve, can't wait to discuss this with you. First off, you just got back. Uh, how was the trip? Oh, it was great. Great weekend, David. And it was, uh, it was a remarkable ceremony in a, in a different setting, not on the state, big stadium court anymore, but more intimate, very elegant. And I thought beautifully done by the original nine, you know, who of course signed their pro contracts with Gladys Hellman back in September 23, 1970, led by Billie Jean, who came back. Seven of the nine were there, which was great. And, uh, they were terrific. They all gave, most of them gave little short speeches and, and it, it came off beautifully. And then we, of course, had, you know, Dennis Vandermeer being inducted, you know, his wife appeared for him. Dennis passed away a while back. And, and then, of course, it concluded with, with uh, Conchita Martinez and Goran Ivanisevich, you know, who were, who were supposed to go in last year, but uh, came back this year out and were able to enjoy their celebration. So it was really, a, I thought, one of the better ceremonies I've attended and very well handle up at the rostrum by uh, Brett Haber. Brett Haber did a great job on these ceremonies, moving it along and injecting some humor. And uh, it, it was all, it was all a joy to, to be truthful. And it, and they moved it up to like uh, early evening this time. So everyone wasn't basking uh, in the sun as it usually happens. It could get yeah. brutally hot uh, with people in suits sitting there. Yeah, absolutely. This time, rather than the old days when we were starting about 12, 1230, this was a six o'clock start. And we were pushed back a little bit by the second men's semifinal of the tournament. So it was really more like 6.30, a little after that. So it was perfect. Getting very foggy, uh, but no rain. So everybody was comfortable and there was no rain. And we got through the, the ceremony very uh, seamlessly. And it was, it was great fun to be there. That's great. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things in the tournament. Then after this tournament, I want to kind of go into your uh, experience back in 2017, if you don't mind. So... Um, with that, just a, a couple highlights from, from this year's tournament. I want to start with, with Jack sock. And again, I mean, it's, it's nice to see him back. We know uh, in this tournament, he lost a close three setter to Kevin Anderson, um, in the quarters, he still needs wild cards to get into these main draw events. Um, we all know he lost his way in, in singles. Some maybe say some in his control, some with injuries out of control, but here's a guy who got to number eight in the world. Um, it's nice to see him get back. I want to talk about his doubles accomplishments because for me, I think he is the best doubles player on this planet. And I want to just name some, some numbers, um, some accomplishments, and I'll let you speak to it. Um, going all the way back in 2011, he won the mixed doubles uh, U.S. Open with Melanie Udan, uh, Udan. In 2014, he won Wimbledon with Vasek Pospisil. Oh, who did they beat? They beat a guy named Mike and, guys named Mike and Bob, uh, last name of the Bryans. Um, 2017, he made the finals in Miami with Nick Monroe. In 2018, he won Indian Wells with John Isner, beating the Bryan brothers again. Labor Cup, Team World obviously recruits him for doubles. He's seven and two in doubles. He dominated world team tennis in 2020, both in the men's doubles and mixed doubles. He's won 2018 Wimbledon and 2018 U.S. Open titles and the 2018 ATP finals men's doubles title with Mike Bryan. I sailed us and he won the Olympics gold mixed in 2016 with Bethany and bronze with Stevie Johnson. I say all this because 
it's not like him and one partner. You could say John McEnroe, his main partner over the years was Peter Fleming, right? Jack Sock has played with a plethora of guys and has had success. It would take some hard convincing for me to say somebody, even a double specialist that plays and trains week in and week out is better on the doubles court than Jack Sock. No, I don't. I think, you know, you make a very persuasive case. Let's keep in mind, not no knock on on Jack because he's he's an outstanding doubles player. But of course, these days you don't get the top singles players playing in doubles. So I mean, were that if that was the case, maybe we wouldn't be saying this. But that's not his fault. And that's not his problem. Labor he's, Cup, he's you doing, could Labor Cup, you get it a little bit. You get some of the best. Yes, yes, they, that's but really that's good. yeah, and 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 sometimes once in a while at Indian Wells, and so, sometimes in Davis Cup they play. But basically, they don't play it as a regular forum. And, but that takes nothing away from Jack. He's been very dedicated to doubles. I wish he was. I wish he had the same kind of self-belief and and uh, ongoing conviction in singles because, you know, we've he's been in the top 10 of the world. He's made the year-end championships. That shouldn't be just a one-timer, but it may be. But, no, he's terrific. And, and, and the point you're making, the most important point you're making is doing it with so many different partners, then achieving these wins over the Bryans, which is no mean feat. So I, I, I tip my hat to him, and I hope, I hope he's on his way back in both singles and doubles. You're, you're right. He played a very decent match against Anderson, who went on to win the tournament. So no disgrace there. Kevin is resurgent. Kevin's playing really well. Kevin had been unlucky at Wimbledon to hit Novak in the second round. So he's, he's playing really well again, and that, 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 was, that was always going to be a difficult match to win. But I, I hope that Jack keeps working hard between now and the end of the year to sort of restore his – singles career as well as playing his top of the line doubles. Yeah, no, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. And you mentioned Kevin Anderson, you know, I'm a little biased towards Kevin because he's a university of Illinois guy. So we're all, we're all big fans of Kevin Anderson. It was great that he's healthy when the tournament um, Jensen Brooksby, he actually committed to Baylor. My good friend is the head coach there, Michael Woodson. So shout out Baylor tennis and, and Michael, he never actually played a match there because he was injured, but um he's a former Kalamazoo champ. He won it in 2018. He's had huge success on the futures and challengers tour. I think after his loss to Kevin, I think he's 32 and six since January. If you take futures challengers in the main tour, I mean, this kid and the fans love them. Absolutely love them. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on him? Well, how could they not? This young American, such an appealing guy, hard worker, good all around game, lots of spirit, lots of emoting at the right times goes out there and not having reached the final and didn't bow to Kevin Anderson by any means he fought, you know, he made Kevin play better than he did. He really made Kevin work hard and Kevin's down set point in the tie break. This tie break was crucial in the first set. And then Anderson went on to win in straight, but it was a really good effort and highly encouraging for him. And now I think he's going to move in to the top one around 130, 131 in the world. Now it's a big step for him and, Hopefully, you know, a couple more decent tournaments this summer, we could see him potentially inside the top 100 uh, by fall or who knows, soon enough the way he's playing. And he's got really great fighting spirit on the court, positive attitude and a a good all around game. That's what I like. There's, you know, a a little bit of a funky backhand, as some people say, he likes to slice the two hander at times. I'd rather see him drive it. But the fact is he's he's uh, he, he acquitted himself really well up in in Newport 
Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch both Sebastian Corda and Jensen Brooksby in the years ahead and see how they you know Sebastian's obviously a couple steps ahead of Jensen yeah, right now, but um, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to watch both those guys. I mean, if he's able to follow in those footsteps, I tip my hat to him. I don't think he's quite of the same caliber uh, because I see I see uh, Sebastian clearly going to the top ten in the world. I have no doubt in my mind about this, but this kid is darn good too, and. He's, he's certainly a, a, a top 30, 40 player uh, at some point soon enough. And then we'll see where he goes from there. Right. That'll be a, hard, a harder process for him than for Corda to make that leap. But, but it's, it's nice to have a couple of young Americans emerging. I was just going to say that. Yes, it is. Okay. You know, this is dedicated to Newport. We've talked all Newport. We're going to continue all Newport. I want to take it back to your special day, special weekend, special year. It's all great. 2017, um, you were inducted into the Hall of Fame. What an honor that is. If you don't mind, kind of walk, um, what well, kind of walk us all through the through the process of it. How does the nomination work? How many are there certain note, uh, certain number of votes you need to get inducted? Who calls you um, to say you're both nominated and inducted? Just kind of walk us through it. Yeah, I, I'm in an unusual position because I'm on the. I happen to serve on the nominating committee. So when and and that happened with some prior people as well, including Bud Collins. So when that happens and you're going to be discussed, you leave the room. Obviously, right. you have nothing to say in the discussion. Then you come back in and you find out. That's what happened to me in 2016 as I left the room and I came back in and I was told by Stan Smith that I had been nominated. So okay. that, that 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 I left that room almost shaking. I was, I mean, you just, it's, it's sinking in as you're walking back to the press uh, media facility from the room where we had the meeting that, that, that you're actually on the ballot and that's it. Where's the so meeting I, at? Is it at Newport? During Wimbledon. Okay. It's, 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 it's held during Wimbledon. You, it's not in the past. The, the things have been a little bit thrown off stride that is the pandemic the last few years, but that's where we were doing the meeting for, for many, many years. So, but normally if you weren't on the, you know, if you weren't in my position, you would might find out a little later. I don't know exactly how they handle it, but but they weren't going to not tell me. It's just it doesn't become public knowledge until around U.S. Open time, at least in those years. So then that was the second fun part of the process was when they sent out the release during the Open. And suddenly I'm getting a flood of emails from colleagues congratulating me. So that was a great feeling. And but then, you know, you sit nervously because, you know, the voting is taking place in that case. The voting was done. But between that point when they sent it out, I think they started it, did it over a two or three month period and it closed in November. And uh, so then, yes, you wait for the phone call. Uh, and, and what happened in my case, David, was kind of amusing because Stan Smith called. He's the president of the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Todd Martin is the CEO. So Todd, hand, I mean, uh, Stan handles the phone calls bad news or good okay so he called me and i had been out at uh, working out i'd been at the fitness club he called i i um i got the message and he's and he spoke in a very low key and i know stan pretty well so i my read on it was this does not sound good he just sounded so somber steve it's stan smith if you could give me a call i didn't like the feel of it and it wasn't that <laughs> Not that I'm not a positive thinker, but so I, I went, I, I worked on a two or three different articles that I was working on. I spent the rest of the day just diving into my work. And my wife finally said to me around five o'clock, this message had come in at 1130. You need to call Stan. How did you wait six and hours? I, That's well, crazy. And finally I realized I can't go to sleep tonight not having called him. So I called him and he immediately said, Steve, you made it. 
you made it. And I, and I, and that was that what is just such incredible relief and exhilaration simultaneously. And then he told me about the events coming up and how, uh, how there'd be a celebration in Australia was like coming to Australia. And I actually had already been planning to go. I said, no, I'll be there, you know? And so, well, we're going to announce it out on the court in Australia. You know, I said, so you're, you're going to join us. I said, great. And then it turned out there were about 27 of us on the court, including my class, including Andy Roddick and uh, Monique Kalkman. Uh, Kim was on video. She couldn't make it to Australia that year, but Monique Kalkman did. She's the wheelchair player. And uh, so there were three of us, you know, Monique and Andy and myself and Andy was interviewed and, but there was just this incredible array of champions, Laver, Rosewall and, and uh, it, Becker, Courier, you name it, Mart uh, Chrissy, Martina, Yvonne Gulagong, just, uh, you know, just so many giants of the game were there as part of the celebration. So that was the next piece. And then finally in July, uh, th then we, then we got to walk out on the court that that June in Paris for a ring celebration uh, for Guga Kerton. You know, he was getting his Hall of Fame ring. So I got right. to join other people, walk out on the court at Roland Garros the day of the finals. And, and then finally in, in July of that 2017, we, we had our, our ceremony. So you when, remember, um, all, it, okay. sorry, you remember all of those pieces. I'm, I'm, I hope I wasn't too detailed, but the, it's a step-by-step -step thing. And, you know, you, you don't forget any part of it, finding out when you're nominated, uh, you know, the, the official announcement coming out a few months after you've been told privately, and then, and then knowing that the voting process is going on, waiting to see have the votes counted and then being told one way or another what's happened no a lot of people don't know the step-by-step -step process so that's why i wanted to, wanted you to give the detail of it so that, yeah, that's and perfect keep in mind david they they have like an accounting for them. the the votes are tabulated by a, a, an outside firm you know so that it's it's really professionally handled the, and so then and then the hall of fame people i guess are told the end there, they, they have the numbers and then those are passed on obviously to Stan who has to notify. And in fact, he talked a little bit about that this weekend that when Conchita Martinez was up on the stage with him at the press conference about how Conchita, I think, believed this was her third time on the ballot. She'd been unlucky the first two. So she'd received the bad news phone calls from Stan Smith. She finally got the good news call this past year, you know, well, more than a year because she should have gone in last year, but what a nice thing for her as, as, and so appreciative as was Goran Ivanisevic because they'd each won one major. They weren't shoe-ins, but they, you know, they, they obviously were hoping. And I think sometimes David players like that, it means even more to them than it does to the superstars. Not that the superstars don't think it's a, it's an, a singular honor, but, but they know they're in, yeah. they know they're in at a certain point. Absolutely. Right. And the, here are two players that didn't know they were in, and here's Gorn, who it took him all those years until 2001 to win Wimbledon after having lost three previous finals. And then he finds, and he had, he had been on the ballot once before and not gotten in. And Kachita, I guess, was twice. So it made it even sweeter for them that in the end, they, they did make it. Got it. Talk, if, if you don't mind, talk now, a little case, bit about... Case, okay. Sorry to interrupt. In my case, I was so lucky that, that I got the first ballot, my first time on there, right. and I got on you can't be more fortunate than that for sure um was interested in the in the weekend itself for you back in 2017 it was so awesome to see that you got to bring your dad there um do you get there like on, on uh, i mean obviously if you want to go early to see the tennis what when did you get there did you get there on a friday where the festivities 
almost all on Saturday? Did it start Friday night? What's the whole What's the whole weekend like? I got there, and well, it, it, it's different for everybody. I think most inductees will get there maybe Thursday night. Uh, that's what I did, and then Friday there's various things going on. Then there's a dinner Friday night, and then Saturday is is the ceremony. You're doing different things Friday, the different little functions, then Friday night dinner, then Saturday. And they, and at that time, midday, contrasting with now when they moved it to 6 p.m. So, uh, yeah, you that's I think that's pretty much the, the standard procedure for the inductees to, to be sure to be there at some point Thursday to be prepared for various things going on Friday and the Friday night dinner and then Saturday ceremony. For the listeners, you can find Steve's uh, speech. It's about eight minutes. Um, you can go on YouTube and find it. And it, Steve did a wonderful job. So definitely go check it out. And um, yeah, David, you're not supposed to tell them that they actually amusingly enough. It's funny you said that about it. About it. You try to keep it to about five if you can. That's what they prefer. You did about eight. You were OK. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was close enough. And and uh, I, I felt like I didn't go on too long. No, and, you and, didn't. Um, yeah. One, one thing that, you know, you really kind of hit home with was how humbled you were and how humbling the whole experience was so, so, so well-deserved for you. But, you know, you yourself as a, as a tennis historian, I mean, Newport, there's no place like it, right? I mean, everything about it, it, it just oozes um, the history of tennis. It does. It does. You feel that you go walk through the museum, you know, you see the exhibits and I know how much has changed having been up there so many times. I started going to the ceremonies myself. I've been every year since 95. So I've seen, and I had been up and seen Newport before that before even going to the ceremonies, I'd been a few times, sometimes in the 70s and 80s for tournaments and functions. So I see, I saw how this place evolved and it's just remarkable what they've done with that museum and all the interactive stuff. And they made it such a pleasure for people of all ages. So, you know, you feel that history walking through the museum. And then as an inductee, you also see what they've created on your behalf in the exhibit, you know, and it's, it's all Humbling is the right word, and it, it's it's a little surreal as well to feel to know that that's going to be kind of a permanent historical home for you. That never never disappears. You know, you're you're in, and it's permanent. Um, amazing. And how special was it to have your family and your dad there? I mean, that that's the best. That's the ultimate, right? Well, yeah, especially since he really get he he really kind of he had played tennis himself. My father, he he was 93 when he came to the ceremony. Still going strong at 97 now, but. He's the one that had kind of inspired me by his his club tennis. Watching him as a kid got me pretty excited. And I, I used to watch him putting away these overheads that would bounce about a foot beyond the service line and go over the back fence. And, and I always got a kick out of that as a kid. And then that then it led to me starting to play. And then the big moment was when he took me, he took me out to Wimbledon when I was 12, turning 13 in 1965, not knowing that it was going to become an addiction, but it did. So I just felt like, and also in the early years, he had a knack for meeting people. He was always a very gregarious person. So he was able to introduce me to a lot of players that he'd introduced himself to uh, before I became a writer, but when I already had the goal of which, because by the time I was 15, I knew I wanted to be a tennis writer. I was clear in my mind about that. So it, it only took really two years past that first Wimbledon for me to know that that's, that was where I, that was my career path. At least it was in my mind. So I had to, he played a big role in that sense of really, you know, his interest in tennis and exposing me to Wimbledon. And it really kind of rocketed from there. 
Well, your career turned out all right. So uh, thank you so much for going behind the scenes, you know, opening up the door a little bit, going into some detail that that I know I didn't know the details. And I know a lot of the listeners won't know the details. So um, appreciate you sharing your experiences because it's just such a cool place. Again, such an honor. It's so cool that you're um, part of it and uh, appreciate appreciate you giving us some insight on what really is a special, special place. No, it's very special. And the whole thing, I, I have to say, they really, they do handle things in such a professional manage, uh, manner, you know, with the various committees, with, with you know, with the, the people that are considered, you know, with the discussion of the players or the contributors, you know, and then it eventually will go out to a, not sure exactly what the number of voters is, but they're international writers from everywhere, everywhere on the globe and people that really know the sport. And then, of course, if you're in my shoes, you know, you're at their mercy. They have to, they're going to make a judgment on you. They're going to judge in my case, my body of work in the player's case, they're going to look at those records and say, is that enough to give them a ticket to Newport? So it's quite a process, but I think it's also, it's very thorough and very fair. I think the way they, the way they've set things up. And uh, I, I know that from many years of experience. And this is a regular summer stop for, for the Flinks now, right? You go there pretty much every year unless, you know, you got a conflict. But yeah, pretty- absolutely. No, I have every year since 95. So that's the other part that made it so special is that I hear I had been gone to all these ceremonies, starting with Chrissy Everett in 95. And I saw Connors going in 98 and Mackinac in 99 and Martina Navratilova a year later. All of these greats, Lendl a few years after that. And just ceremony after ceremony that sometimes not those not quite icons like that, but very deserving players, Justine Annan and Moresmo and all these. And I loved every single year. I, I liked, I, I loved watching the reactions of the recipients and, and, and what they had to say. And so I had, I'd viewed it for so long that to then suddenly be standing up at that microphone myself was, was kind of staggering. So, so cool. Hey, the tennis historians are going to love listening to this. Thanks so much, Steve, for sharing this. This was great. Thank you, David. I enjoyed it. Bye. Bye.